So, bro, how much did you guys say you raised again? We raised around 16000 Okay, cool. So, what are you guys doing with the money? So, we've broken it down into two parts. The first one is our school campaign where we're giving out, giving out about 500 packages out to kids. Um, those packages have some journals, some pens, some prompt questions, um, and a shoot-a-shoot bag. And the second part is our social media campaign where we're working cre- with creatives like yourselves with a couple of podcasts. Um, we're having a Twitter room where we're having professionals involved in that as well. Um, alongside the shoot a shoot team where you guys can come in and obviously have a conversation and stuff like that. Um, am I missing anything, Scarlett? Come hop on it. This ain't jump on, jump on. You think you guys will probably know this familiar face. We've done it. Was good. Was good. Um, thank you boys for having me and Irma and Devanka. Um, it was a pleasure to have you guys a part of this campaign. Just to kind of like reinstate what Irma has already said so eloquently. Basically, it's been split into two parts, right? So the first part is the school program. So we're going across schools all across Melbourne, and we're going to be giving to almost 500 kids a shoot-a-shoot package. And in that package, like Du said, Omar, was a backpack, a USB, a pen, a journal, and inside that journal we'll have prompt questions with a card as well with resources to local um, help if you, need, if you need some type of uh, assistance, as well as a what we call a creative pamphlet. Now in this creative pamphlet is going to have QR codes to our YouTube channel and all these playlists. So there'll be a playlist for editing, there'll be a playlist for photography, there'll be a playlist for engineering, there'll be a playlist for basketball. All these different creative playlists will be there on YouTube for anyone to reach out to. It's also going to be public for anyone else. There will also be QR codes, maybe not QR codes, but Instagram links um, to our local creatives. For example, they will be having podcasts. So Fair Dinkin will be on that creative pa- um, uh, pamphlet, as well as uh, film photographers, engineers, um, editors, DJs, and all that. Because growing up, um, there's a couple of things of why the team was so um, solid on this. Because growing up, right, we thought, and I thought personally, America was the place to be because we didn't have anything televised except for Around the Twist in Australia, right? Yeah. And I'm not going to relate to Around the yeah. Twist, but I barely, I didn't even hear about Talkie until I was like 15, 16, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, even like basketball, I was like, I want to go to America. I want to be either an actor, like I said in the last podcast, yeah. or I want to be an NBA player. But now, if we can see, hey, yo, look, there's people who do film photography or journalism that makes it cool like myself, you know? That, uh, that makes it look like it's something that's cool to do or podcasting or basketball like to hoop you know like there's dope hoopers in this area in the scene that we don't know so if we were to have like a link or show these kids this is what we're doing in the area then it will make kids be like yo i'm proud of where i'm from i'm proud of what i do and i, and I don't have any hesitation or you know i'm not unconfident with it so that's why we're doing that and um the shoot shoot package as well as the journal and the prompt questions for me and a lot of a lot of people such as omar journals helped me engage with myself and understand me now i could be really happy to talk to nivanka by the way right but when it comes down to it i may not tell her what my true addictions are you know what i mean but i will tell myself that because only i know so that journal is for you to answer and that's why we had these prompt questions to kind of get you going like you know a letter to your future self what's your thoughts on this how do you get support what do you like to do in these type of situations so that gets the ball rolling for them it got the ball rolling for me when i was 20 or 19. imagine that when someone's 14 15 they're going to develop that emotional intelligence so much more earlier and, you know, they might be that person that will help their friend during a situation. I can't really tap into that. But if if I'm emotionally intelligent and, I, and Omar may not know under, and understand the situation, I'm the one that can help him out. And he'll listen to me more than, for example, Nivanka or someone else. Exactly. So that's that's what we're doing with the schools and the campaign, you know. One last question, though. What's the future of Shoot to Shoot? 
I mean, I think Deuce, Deuce can say his piece. Yeah, it's it's looking bright, man. It's looking <laughs> bright. Every everything is looking bright for us. We're not stopping. Um, sure. There's been little setbacks, but we're coming back stronger, harder, and everything's working out for us. Everything's working out for the people around us, and it's it's a learning process. And we're just we're gonna see where every day takes us. Yeah, Beautiful. exactly. Beautiful. Thank you guys for coming on, guys. Make sure to like, share, subscribe. You know the drill. Um, any last words, Wade? Oh, also, make sure you support the brothers. You can obviously tell they're very passionate about what they do, oh. and when people do good work. Make sure you go and support them so they can continue to do good work for generations to come, inshallah. And break the cycle, break the cycle. Help you boys, inshallah. <laughs> <laughs> and in regards to like Foundation House, just so, because obviously first time I heard of Foundation House was yeah. through the boys at Shooter Shoot and stuff. Yeah. What does, what services do Foundation House provide and what do you guys do exactly? Yeah. So Foundation House is a service for asylum seekers and refugees mm -hmm. who have gone through torture and other traumatic experiences. And so when people are referred to Foundation House, our intake team will take a kind of a story about um, what they've been through and also what their needs are. Um, and then there's lots of different services, but the... Um, work that I do, I work in the mental health clinic. Yeah. Um, so that means that in my day-to-day um, -day work, I see people who have been through these traumatic experiences. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's about, um, like, they might need medications. Mm -hmm. um, uh, or it might be just about kind of um, having a conversation about what they've been through. Because it, I think it helps people to actually have a safe space to talk about what they've been through, have somebody listen mm -hmm. um, and try to understand. Yeah, so I do therapy and medication prescriptions. Yeah. Does that stuff weigh heavy on you? Yourself yeah. as even like a psychotherapist? Yeah, it does. So when you leave the place, do you have to like compartmentalise? or wha yeah. What strategies do you use to kind of like leave all that stuff there? Yeah, it is really hard. Um, but I think what I really like about Foundation House is that even the, so in the Brunswick office, um, just the office is um, really nice. Like you have a view out into the garden. Mm -hmm. um, so when you're talking, you can look at the trees and the birds and it's very, it's, it's very calming for you and your client. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think afterwards, what really helps is that I don't work there full time. I work there two days a week. Mm -hmm. So in the days in between, I have kind of time to like process everything. Yeah. Um, and it's about, I think, having people in your life as well, mm -hmm. um, who bring you joy and happiness and having a life outside of work and finding like interests and hobbies outside of work. Yeah. You yeah. also see like paramedics. They don't work every day of the year. They have like three, four months, I think, where they're yeah. working, and they have like six months leave or something like that. So yeah. when you when you see like trauma on a daily basis, it yeah. could weigh heavy. Yeah. So I just wanted to see like if somebody who has to deal with trauma who has is at the front line of fighting it. Yeah. Like if you had strategies, then maybe that could impart some sort of like wisdom upon people who watch this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And I think another thing um, is also like I have my supervision. So like um, psychotherapists who are much more senior in the field um, who I see weekly and I get to kind of talk to them about the clients who I've been seeing, kind of the emotional response I'm having and they help me kind of think through that. So that really helps, 100%. yeah. So obviously you don't get lost in other people's conversations and yeah, stuff. Separate yeah. your lives from them. Yeah. In regards to like the people that come to see you and stuff, is there like 
um, obviously because there'd be a range of communities and stuff. Is yeah. there a specific community that Foundation House like try and reach out to, or do you get all walks of life? Yeah, I think it's all walks of life. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I'm not aware of like any specific community. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Mm. Um. And I was going to speak about in regards to the stigma of mental health, and obviously we've been seeing how like there's been a rise in the conversation of mental health in the last couple of years. Yeah. Or even like the last decade. I know when I was going through school, that conversation wasn't really that um mm. what do you call it prevalent. Um. What are some ways that like you can like introduce people to the conversation of mental health and mm. like speaking up because a lot of people don't realize the trauma that they go through unless yeah. they obviously see a psychotherapist. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask, yeah, so what are some ways where people can open up to that conversation and make it easy? Yeah. I think it's just about, I think someone's got to break the silence. Someone's mm -hmm. got to be the first one, yeah. you know? So, um, so it's even though it's hard and I think, covid lockdowns have really opened up that conversation because people in mass mm -hmm. was talking about kind of how the isolation was impacting on their mental health so i think amongst your friend groups if that is not a conversation that you're having at the moment yeah. like i think and if you feel like you know there are things that you're going through and you think that other people are going through the same thing but you're not having that conversation i think you know, just starting just being like, oh, you know, like, you know, you guys, like, things have been tough recently. Um, and just seeing how other people react, because often when someone goes first, yeah. other people are like, okay, maybe it is talked. It's like, okay to talk about this. And then they mm. can share as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you have a method to separate? Because obviously we know that there's something called a bad day. Mm. Every human being has those, yeah. you know. And a lot of the times people have a bad day. And they can kind of associate that with something a little bit more serious, yeah. or if not, vice versa. You know, somebody's just thinking a bad day is, is just, is just, it is what it is, and I'll move on tomorrow. I'll wake up a bit different, but yeah. it doesn't change. Yeah. Is there anything that you can categorize, for example, depression or anxiety? Yeah. Uh, in comparison to somebody just having a bad one, you know? Yeah, I think um, that's such a good question, and I think what you said, like a bad day, you know. Um, with depression, it's not a bad day. It's bad weeks, bad months, bad years. You know, it's so it's like the same sense of, you know, like feeling, I don't know, you might feel like bad about yourself, worthless, having trouble getting out of bed, not feeling like you can eat anything, like all these things stretching out for like weeks and months and years. Um, and yeah, so it is about that, but it, it's also about um, kind of how serious it can get in terms of like whether, and this is a very serious conversation, but people having thoughts about ending their life, yeah. um, about self-harming, like those kind of things are quite serious. Mm. Um, and yeah, if these things are happening, it's important people get professional help. Yeah. Mm. Sorry, but there's also this... Um, mm. This concept of autopilot or staying in autopilot for mm. a while, mm. like mm. not really just sitting mm. and like um, in, in sorrow or anything, but more so just kind of going through the motions of life. Mm. And we notice that with people around our age, I don't know if you boys are all 24 ish, 25 ish, mm. somewhere in that range, like something that, like when, uh, uh, especially a male, yeah, they get through to the, that age, they start to turn into like kind of like a robotic mechanical system yeah. that just continuously functions the same. Yeah. Like, um, is that. Is that does that categorize itself in that regard as depression or anxiety or yeah 
So it's almost like what you're describing is like a numbing response. People just like feel emotionally numb. They just go through the emotions every day, but they don't really feel anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think if it is that um, it is important to, I mean, it's really, this is a really complicated conversation because like, you know, how we um, draw the line between what is abnormal and what is normal, it's like such a gray area mm. and it shifts sure. depending on the culture. Um, so I think if you do feel like that, you're going through autopilot and you just feel emotionally numb, I would say that there are things, um, that there might be things in your life that you're not really um, uh, th- trying to forget about and push back um and not think about and um i would kind of think oh for people like that to really try to reflect why they are like that why they feel emotionally emotionally numb um and you know try to think whether going to a um like a psychologist would be helpful where they have an opportunity to talk about things that they've been through. what what are some reasons why people would feel numb in regards to that um I mean, it's so dependent and variable. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes when people have been through kind of traumatic experiences, um, and, you know, when we say like traumatic experiences, it's not like sometimes these huge things like a car accident or it's not necessarily like that, but it's like the everyday traumas. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, if you're growing up in Australia as a man of colour or Mm -hmm. a woman of colour, the everyday little, um, you know, experiences you have of like racism, discrimination, Mm -hmm. othering, those are like micro traumas that add up. Over years and years, and rather than thinking, oh, you know, rather than thinking and reflecting on those experiences, some people can just be like, you know, I just, I just need to get on with my life, yeah. um, and people just push all those things back, mm. um, and you know, and that is the way they have learned to cope with mm. them, um, yeah. Like the reaction we give, for example, I can speak. Only for myself, for experiences with like my beard mm. and stuff like that yeah. going out, like you, you'll get the occasional glance, like, "Come on, man, look at this bitch," you know, like, and and yeah, yeah. and for us, when we we kind of like go out of the house to kind of go about our business, we don't mm. really expect to gain some sort of friction from op- people you never met before, you know. Mm. And then, um, so you're saying that micro traumas do exist. So, yeah. for example, even getting the the odd glance or the odd you know, like greasy, greaser or yeah. that sort of stuff actually adds up to kind of like frustrate you further. Is because it's cumulative, right? Like mm. it adds up. And also like if you think about what it means, right, this other person is basically othering you and you like feel like you don't belong or and you feel sort of disconnected. And that feeling of not belonging over time can be really like very distressing. Um, yeah. yeah. So when those things do occur when you're outside and stuff like that, what's mm-hmm. a couple of steps or little tricks that you can do to just calm yourself down, understand that it might just be a bad day? Yeah. Um, I know one of them that I personally use is the five by five rule. Mm-hmm. So if it's not going to matter in five years, don't spend more than five minutes worrying about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's something that's, hel- that's helped me a lot throughout the years. But what's some, some tricks or tips from you? I think it's about kind of 
having a really good way that you are prioritizing your well-being like every day rather than like something happen and then you try to do something just like routinely build kind of um, good well-being into your daily life you know so it's like you know you need to look after your body so having a good sleep routine having a good diet having a good exercise regime but also like having ways to connect you know that may be connecting to yourself um through hobbies um but connecting to your family connecting to your friends connecting to your community like for example what you guys do like Mm. you know this like this podcast i can imagine that it's your way of like connecting to your community you know um and that that gives like some sense of meaning and purpose so i think that's really important when you feel like okay you know these people are othering me but i have so much in life that connects me to people and brings me joy so i i think that's what i would say is important rather than reacting to things you just build a very good like um mental well-being routine into your daily life every day mm-hmm. yeah in regards to the conversation about trauma as well um, and you know how you were speaking about like micro trauma in regards to yeah. small things happening over a period of time Mm-mm-mm. that you don't attend to or give notice to. Mm. Um, can that be also the same with like trauma that's out of your life? For example, like past your experiences, mm. like let's just say your family's experiences and whatnot. Because yeah. I know for most of us, like we're all first generation, second generation. Yeah. Um, what do you call it? Australians living here. Yeah. Um, and obviously, most some of us have come from war torn countries parents being refugees and all that kind of stuff can those be things that affect our lives as well yeah definitely i guess here we are kind of talking about intergenerational trauma Mm. um so yes like you know what your parents even grandparents great grandparents what they've been through it can all be passed down and it's like the way that it's passed down some people like oh like how can trauma be passed down through the generations and it's not necessarily you know like the traumas that our parents been through, we are not directly experiencing that trauma. Mm-hmm. But what we are experiencing is how our parent was left with after that trauma, you know. So they might be more anxious, more depressed, more sure. withdrawn. Um, it might have, what they've been through might have affected their ability to parent, mm-hmm. you know, to be like emotionally available, mm-hmm. to, you know, praise your child, to like all these things um that they you know has impact like because of the trauma their life has been impacted in that way and so because of that the next generation is affected because they didn't get those things from their parent so now you know if we are not uh, very conscious of that that can pass on to the next generation in how we parent our children so it's yeah so that's sort of different to the information that's out there saying that like depression can't be like sort of inherited and one or like i guess mental health issues can't be inherited because mm. i was reading this book recently that i started um mm. and it was titled it didn't start with you yeah um and it was speaking about how a lot of the things that like like a lot of trauma or like mental health issues can start even three generations before yeah, you exactly. you know because like in regards to your your mother's mother so your grandmother yeah because she's born with all her egg cells and whatnot yeah that she's going to have all her life yeah mm-hmm. or that basically mm-hmm. led to your mother's birth and mm. that also led to your mother's birth. Mm. Um, and it was speaking in regards to how that can directly affect you. Um, and mm. one of the ways that they said um, in order to address those mental health issues or let's just say 
you're traumatized by some certain mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. is to have that conversation with your parent you know mm-hmm. and i feel like within like um families like first generation mm-hmm. families and all that that conversation is sort of not had you know like yeah. everything is swept under the rug exactly um and would you, what what avenues would you say that would help in regards to opening that conversation with parents yeah i think it first starts with this is really hard i think especially for um migrants because you know like our parents um and how we are can be quite different in terms of the lives that yeah. we've had and the environments that we've grown up within so there can be like almost this communication barrier yeah um and cultural as well because they've grown up in an, like i know my parents for example they've grown up in somalia yeah and then obviously like the australian way of life is completely different to yeah. the somali way of life you know exactly. so they also see me doing certain things and it's like you can't address it because yeah. it's two different livelihoods, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, sorry to cut you off, but yeah. No, wha- no, no, it, it, yeah, it is really tough. Mm. But I think, like, trying to understand, and this is really, really difficult, but I think you need to find a space in your heart to be like, you know, I'm going through really difficult things, but my parents are too, and someone needs to make the first step in kind of trying to bridge this divide um so i would say like find something that you know your you and your parent can enjoy like together Mm -hmm. that might be like a good example of that i think might be food right because sometimes even though culturally you know we have grown up very differently a lot of the time in the in the home we are still eating the same cultural food so having a conversation um with with food over the dinner table about you know like like what you said you know you have been reading this book and you've learned these things and you're really interested to understand what your parent has been through um and you know and even acknowledging you know i know that we don't talk about this stuff and we rather push it to the side but you know i'm an adult now and i really want to understand my family's history and my family's story because that would help me and if you feel comfortable i would like to know um yeah and you know they might not want to share but at least you've made that first step mm, for mm. Sure. is there a way to because um i'm guessing this stuff all works towards creating a default setting mm. or a default reaction mm. from parents or from us in general like mm. if we don't work towards or consciously work towards improving ourselves in regards to like for example like intergenerational trauma like yeah um, do you have any examples of intergenerational trauma, like coming out? Like, for example, um. say you're the way you react to somebody talking to you in a negative manner, or something like that. Is there? Yeah. Is there like is there examples of it? I think it's like more that, like the. So I can give you an example. So a parent who has been through trauma, right? They can the way they are in daily life can be quite like withdrawn so they don't really share much emotions and when their child expresses a lot of emotions they don't know how to deal with that it can be quite overwhelming for them so they would rather say like just like why are you behaving this way just you know just like shut up and like all these kind of things to kind of put them down Mm. and so what happens to the next generation is that they learn that it's not good to express emotions so they themselves will push their emotions aside Mm. and and so when they grow up they are now adults who don't know how to express emotions who find 
who find emotions just overwhelming. Mm. So when they parent, it's like it keeps going it's on. Continuous, cycle yeah. repeats. Until someone yeah. breaks that cycle. Basically. Until someone does. And yeah. sort of has that conversation. Yeah. So how do you spot um, like intergenerational trauma? Like like Sohail said in regards to mm. differentiating between having a bad day yeah. or like having like specific like depression that's just because yeah. of you. Yeah. Or let's just say having mental health issues that was because of past generations how do you sort of tell the difference as a psychiatrist yeah it's i think we almost don't in the sense that it's like multifactorial you yeah. know like so when we look at a person we know that they are not like an island onto themselves mm. you know their life has been so impacted by you know the family they grew up with in the school environment the broader like national political conversations um, so all these things have affected them. So we almost would look at each each of the components. So almost everyone would have intergenerational, mm. you know, trauma in some ways. Can that come out in things like stress? So for example, mm. I know, or I can only speak for my own mum, but I think every yeah. every ethnic's mum has a problem with stress. Yeah, like just consistent, like like anxiety, and they're always like keep trying to keep everybody on their toes and stuff yeah. like that. Is something like that? a result of intergenerational trauma mm. or is it just more so like a how do i say it? more like a symptom of something else i mean it can be both mm. so sometimes you know like because of intergenerational trauma people can be quite sensitive or like predisposed to feeling more anxious with like like little things you know um because, I mean, if you guys think about it, right, for our parents who have grown up in war-torn areas, like, their safety was at risk. Their life was at risk. Their whole body was, like, primed to defend themselves and to protect them and their loved ones, right? And so sometimes even when people leave that situation and come to a safer place, their body is still reacting the way it was before when they were in an unsafe situation mm. so they don't quite like i mean they know that they are in a different place and they're safe but sometimes their body is still reacting the same way so yeah. the changes that happen happen basically like sort of at a physiological level so yeah. their body reacts and yeah exactly and then they carry that over until some sort of variable causes that stress yeah yeah wow. yeah that's very interesting one of my ancestors must have had OCD, man. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this thing is just killing me, buddy. Because yeah. <laughs> no, it reminds me of what I read in the book because one of the tests that they done was like, th when I was referring to like the three generations, yeah. they did a test on basically uh, like a control group of mice and mm. then obviously a test group. Mm. And they exposed the test group to shock. Mm. And they also test, uh, they put the control group under shock. Mm. But every time they sh shocked the test group, they basically sprayed like um, cherry blossom scent with it. Yeah. So then now basically what happened was the generation after then, the generation after that, whenever yeah. they were exposed to the scent of cherry blossom, yeah. they would have like an adverse reaction to it. Yeah. And even though it has a positive smell to it, yeah. so that effect, every time they were induced with that stress, yeah. they reacted differently to it. So I guess it's the same with 
in regards to like racism yeah. and like in regards to coming from war-torn countries yeah. and that. Yeah. You know? So that's f- quite interesting. And it's like what you were um, saying, it just reminded me of this thing called epigenetic. I, d- yeah. I don't know whether you've heard of it, but it's this concept where kind of um, the way that, you know, your parents and your grandparents lived, what they ate, how much physical exercise they had, um, the you know emotional and physical stresses they had, all of those things affected like um, the g- their genes and which genes were turned on, on which were which ones were turned off, and that uh, is actually passed on down through the generations mm. and can really yeah so it's almost like um, intergenerational trauma is like emotionally and psychologically passed on through parenting, but it's also in your DNA. So it mm. makes sense why all of us are so angry. But see, that's the thing, right? It's sometimes you can get into this trap of like, oh, you know, I'm this way because of my parents and my grandparents. Yeah. And it's just like, this explains everything. But then, like, it's important to be like, yes, okay, like I might have um, some answers now, but what now? Like, yeah. you know, yeah. I can't just like pass it on down to the next generation. Exactly, it's like yeah. my responsibility responsibility now to somehow heal uh, myself yep. so that I don't um, pass it down through the generations. That's what I was saying about the default setting stuff. Yeah. Because you can always look at yourselves and go, you know what? I am the way I am. It is what it is. People <laughs> got to do with it, you know? Yeah. You tell the boys around you, hey, don't push my buttons at this time because you're going to end up getting the wrong reaction. Mm. Mm. And then you look at yourself and you go, hang on, if I know that, why don't I do something Except, about it? Yeah. So... Which brings me to the next question. Mm. What do you suggest people to do in those situations? Mm. Use me as an example if you want. Yeah. As an angry Lebanese boy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think it's important that you have some like um, thinking space. Like, you know, if you do think that you're an angry person, like, why am I angry? Like, asking yourself that question. Because anger what is sometimes what we call like a secondary emotion. This, like, if you look back at anger there's often um, a sense of sadness um, shame uh, feeling like you know like things like just like really difficult emotions inside that you know anger is the outward outward face of that you know so it's like it's important to look back and think where is this coming from do I feel like I'm being other do I feel like embarrassed do i feel like you know i'm hurt or sad or feeling vulnerable what's going on um and then trying to sometimes it's really hard to do that when you're like just on your own you know so that's why therapy really helps because a therapist can help you think through that and to ask you those questions to make to help you think Mm. so therapist role isn't to provide you with the answer it's more so or you time pack your like exactly your exactly. I always tell because sometimes people think, oh, you know, give me advice, give me answers, <laughs> yeah. but it's more like you are like almost a guide, you know, like walking side by side with your patient to help you help them understand their experience and also their own solutions. For sure. Yeah. So when can you like butt in? Because like, what happens when, I guess. And I'm just thinking, like, let's just say someone wants to unpack a certain situation mm. with you. And, like, at what point are you not validating their feelings, essentially, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. You know, let's just say I present you with a certain problem and whatnot. 
you know how like you have guided responses certain questions yeah. you can ask them to further unpack it yeah like at what point do you tell them no you're sort of like wrong in that scenario you got oh, what i'm trying to say yeah so we never actually tell people like their emotion is wrong yeah right because people just feel emotions mm-hmm. so like i think it's really important that like we always try to understand and validate people's emotions like whether it's like anger or sadness or whatever it is it is important to be able to name that and to kind of say you know i i maybe you were feeling angry maybe you were feeling sad and to really help the person understand their emotional experience because sometimes i feel like that's what society doesn't recognize and validate people's emotional experience Mm -hmm. so in the therapy room you really like emotion is at the center of things you know you really try to get the emotion out and validate it it's the behavior sometimes that Ah, we need to challenge you know yes you were feeling angry but what happened? Why did you do this? What's yeah. a healthy way of expressing that emotion? Gotcha. So you're not yeah. condoning Sohail for getting angry. Yeah. But basically you're condoning him for the way that he feels essentially, you know? Yeah. It's kind of, yes, your anger, you know, you were feeling angry and you were feeling this way. Mm. But what you did, how did you think it actually, like your behavior helped you? Do you think your behavior helped other people around you? What could you have done differently um, that, that did? you know, that would help you or would help other people around you, yeah. I think we spoke to a psychologist <coughs> not too long ago mm. on the podcast mm. and she was talking about the concept of the smaller self, so your your younger self. Yeah. Yeah, and, and like, for example, you were saying the secondary emotion is anger. Yeah. The only reason why is because you felt like the younger self yeah. was um, was being attacked. Yeah. And the only way to protect it is you have like this layer of emotions for example, anger, for example, yeah. sadness, depression, or yeah. like, or like being a, I think con man was one of them as well. Yeah. I'm not too sure, but like there's all these other uh, aspects of emotions mm. that you use as a crust to protect mm. the inner layer, which is your inner younger self. Mm. So um, how would you bring about a conversation with somebody who, for example, your mate, mm. you can tell he's starting mm. to act out yeah. a lot. Yeah. He's starting to be a type of way. Yeah. And um, you really want to help them because you're like, you know what's going on? Or you've at least yeah. think you know what's going on. Yeah. Is 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 it you tell them about this sort of stuff? Yeah. Or do you kind of like tell them that what they're feeling is validated or? Yeah. I think it's really important, like that you don't catch people in their like angry moments. It's yeah. like if people are like really angry and you're like mate, and you try to have a conversation, like in the middle of their anger, they won't be listening. Thank you know. Um, and instead it might actually make them feel even more annoyed (laughs) so I think it's important like when they are not angry to be like hey you know like when you were like that before like you know um, I, I don't know like what was going on and like try to do it when they are calmer and not kind of in the you know the throes of emotion I think it's really important as a first step um but also to kind of be like you know, like I said, like, you know, because anger is kind of secondary to kind of actually think about like, what was going on for you in that moment? Like, why do you think you got angry? And I think guys, like sometimes it is a lot of, um, you know, personal, um, it does take a lot personally to help a mate like that. Um, so if you are feeling like you are also getting overwhelmed in these conversations, it is important to understand your 
own limits, you know, and like, you know, direct them to like professional help, but also to get like help for yourself if you're feeling overwhelmed. Yeah. Mm. In regards to um, like help, mm. is there a point in time where like <laughs> you can't help a person? It sounds like a stupid question, I'll be yeah. honest. But like at one point, like is that where drugs come involved where you sort of can't offer psychotherapy? Yeah. And then you offer them like an alternative, like actual yeah. drugs? Yeah. So it's, it's, that's a bit of a complicated question because mm. I feel like it's about, um, there's always help, right? Mm-hmm. But it's the, Diff- like different types of help gotcha. um so with like milder like depression and anxiety therapy is really good and helpful uh, but sometimes people can get like their symptoms are so severe that they can't actually engage in therapy right okay. like they, they might be just like so sad they can't even keep a conversation or they want to sleep all the time you know so in that case, it is important that we give uh, that we think about medications because medications can help them get to a stage where they can engage with therapy, mm. right? Okay. Yeah. So it's more of like an opening to get the conversation started exactly, again. Exactly. That yeah. they wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And with the therapy as well, like mm. we're not professionals, obviously, but I know that everyone in this room has had a friend or family mm. member or someone that was suffering through uh, stuff like depression mm-hmm. and stuff like that and was against therapy. What's some ways you would that, you know, let's just say I had a mate that was yeah. going through that, that I would kind of guide him towards that, yeah. towards therapy, because obviously as a young man, it's very hard for you to go and yeah. be like, oh, I'm not okay. So Yeah. I think, yeah, that's such a good question. I think it's about, it's really hard because these things can be like ingrained in people over years, you know, so sometimes one conversation isn't going to do it. Um, So I think it's about, you know, if you are having those conversations with your friends saying like, you know, don't you think like when we chat like this, does it help you to tell someone what you're going through? Like therapy will be the same, you know, someone to talk to you to help you think through these things. Um, and so like one que- one conversation like that might not help. But over time, if you keep having those conversations, um, your friend might change their mind. Mm. Uh, but even if they don't, I think it's really important to know that as a friend, you can only do so much. If your friend decides not to go through therapy, that is not your fault or your responsibility, right? Like, they are their own separate individual and you have done your role in, like, supporting them and giving them resources. But, you know, like, don't take, like, too much, like, gosh, if something happens, like, you know, I think you need to be able... they They are their own person. I've tried to help, but ultimately it is their decision. When do you know it's, like, okay, enough's enough where it's not really going anywhere because... I think a lot of people mm. suffer with that where you really want to help someone that you're mm. ch- you love and you care for Mm-mm. and you go over and beyond where it actually affects you as a person. So when yeah. when do you kind of stop? Where's yeah. the little red light there? Or Yeah. I think when you recognize that, like, whoa, like I'm becoming overwhelmed with this situation now mm. um, and to actually then um, get support for yourself, I think it's really... Because like what you were referring to before about like being bearing witness to someone's story it's really emotionally tough you know because you're empathizing with their situation and sometimes like 
what they've been through like kind of strike similar chords in you and yeah. you're like gosh my stuff is getting triggered now <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. so it's right like really important to like when you are being triggered to recognize you're being triggered and to kind of you know being like okay like i think i need a bit of a, uh, a break or a moment i think i need my own help and also like you know if you're within a friend group you know like you don't have to be the one who's always looking after people's mental health you can just be like okay i'm going to step back yeah. you know you now try to help yeah, you know exactly yeah what are know. some tactics you use because obviously obviously being in the mental health space yeah. and that and obviously hearing about other people's story it might be triggering for you sometimes yeah. so what's some tactics that you use i think it's kind of like yeah having that awareness that you're being triggered yeah. um and also i think it really helps like in my field like when i'm feeling strong emotions within myself mm-hmm. to actually um question like whether this emotion is my own or whether it's something that's being projected into me by my client so sometimes when people are feeling really sad or angry like and you know we are human beings like sharing space so you start to feel the same emotion and so like when you do actually using that to help um your patient because when you feel emotion you can actually be like like are you all feeling like are you feeling really angry right now or are you feeling really sad right now and they often agree um so it's sometimes a really helpful thing like when you are kind of feeling really strong emotional reactions yeah yeah, yeah. 100% mm. there's this um so I did a bit of research on for example habits that mm. cause you problems yeah and um cuz obviously going through my own things as a human being mm. uh one thing that I noticed was that a lot of the times your brain can only associate like chemical releases with actions you know what i mean it doesn't mm. really know it doesn't really know what is going on but it's no it knows that like for example oxytocin gets released when certain things are triggered mm, 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 mm. and then um what you do is because your body doesn't know how to get the oxytocin fixed yeah. again it will consistently move towards doing that same yeah, thing yeah, yeah. because you know that that sort of um that sort of chemical reaction happens in the brain is it important that people kind of see it for what it is like they separate the brain and the body mm. and then they go okay um the only reason I'm thinking about doing something like this I need to break the cycle is because I need that fix so I need to find alternatives instead yeah you know what I mean yeah that's such a good question I think because it's about habits you know and like the autopilot thing you were talking about mm. when you're on autopilot like you just go through the motions and you just follow the same patterns and because you're not actually thinking about what you're doing you just like just go with the sometimes going with the flow is very much like going on autopilot and just doing what you've always done mm. so I think to stop that like it's important to be aware and also to kind of have a pause between whatever the situation is and your reaction you know say like you're in a situation and someone says something and you automatically feel like you want to say something back but you recognize you want to say something but you don't say it and you pause and you think i want to say this right now but is it like would it be helpful mm. um you know and to have that gap or pause to think about what you're doing because that is where you can actually change habits and change patterns. Yeah, mm. that's an important thing. I know I know because mm. we were speaking about it recently um 
in an episode we did the other week mm. um, in regards to like the pause. It reminds me of a common conversation we're having. Mm. It's like we don't allow ourselves to have like moments of silence or free time to actually like yeah. like delve into the reason why we're feeling a certain way. Yeah. Or like I guess why certain cycles happen because to a degree cycles are habits that have just passed on yeah. in generations. I think that's a very, very helpful advice in regards mm. to pausing and recognizing those emotions. Yeah. And I guess if you can't understand it or you put a finger on it, yeah. then that's where I guess you seek um, therapy. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. And I know a lot of people nowadays as well, like this is a common thing, like trauma bonding. Yeah. You know, when they can't put a feeling onto why yeah. they're feeling a certain way, they go and discuss it, I guess, with the wrong person. Mm. You know, someone who's gone through that same thing and in, in so then they start projecting to a degree mm. and then they end up getting the wrong answer, the wrong advice. And mm. I guess they further go like deeper into their trauma. Yeah. That's why I don't listen to J. Cole. A lot of rappers, to be honest. A lot of rappers, to be honest. Because that's, that's, that's another form of trauma bonding as well. It is you know, really hard. Looking up to the wrong people, role mo- yeah. like role models and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. I was going to ask a question in regards to what Sohail said about the brain. Um, with intergenerational trauma, obviously, because mm. you sort of don't have control over it. You know, mm. you don't have control over the predisposed um, yeah. um, genetic factors that your parents went through. Yeah. I was going to say, how does that affect the brain of younger people and growing up? Does that affect like brain development? Ooh, I think this is a question <laughs> I, I wouldn't be able to offer much detail in. Yeah, yeah. Other than to say that how a child grows up, within a family that really affects their brain development for example one of the things that might be an issue is that if your parents are very traumatized Mm -hmm. they and if they are really withdrawn they might not be able to like um really sit down with you play with you understand your emotions name your emotions just you know just be that and that might actually be like a form of neglect, mm. you know, when you're not getting that feedback and love and emotional reassurance, all those things. So, and neglect affects brain development, right? Oh, it does? Neglect does, In yeah. what sense? Because, you know, the way that your brain forms um, throughout, like, you know, your toddler years, childhood mm-hmm. and adolescence, you need stimulation for your brain to grow. It's when you're stimulated that, you know, your, you know, your like brain cells form like synapses and yep. make connections. Um, in an environment where you're not stimulated, mm-hmm. like it affects like how the neural pathways in your brain is formed. Yeah. So it's like, you know, if you grow up in a very neglect, neglectful environment and that might be emotional neglect as well those synapses and pathways may not form to the same level as a person who got that emotional stimulation you know yeah so say there's a kid 15 years old right now currently experiencing what has just been stated Mm. um they can kind of tell that their parents are they're neglecting their emotional well-being mm. and mm. all that sort of stuff mm. what advice would you give a kid who's 15 like would you tell mm. them to go to a therapist mm. would you tell them to maybe not seek validation in the wrong places or yeah. what is it that you would yeah i think i would try say first of all i think i would understand try to kind of um really empathize with their situation and what they are facing um, and that this is really, really genuinely difficult. Um, and I would encourage them to kind of, I don't know, like, you know, yes, you know, 
you know it might be really hard in the family environment but like seek connections outside of that friends hobbies sports um things that they really enjoy um and i would say like a service like headspace for example which really kind of specialize in young people and they have a really good website um and not only do they have um kind of you know help that you know services that you can directly approach but they have resources that they can read and educate themselves yeah. mm. what's your thoughts on like um social media so let's just say going back to the whole neglecting mm. um obviously because they're not getting that validation or admiration mm. from mm. their parents mm. um do you think with the rise of social media that plays a big role in a lot of like mental health issues as well yeah yeah it does like on like cyberbullying yeah and yeah or i think it definitely does um and so and also like the pressure to mm-hmm. be a certain way yep. um this is like what's like socially accepted and as i think as teenagers it's so prevalent right like yeah. you want to fit in and like to fit in you have to look a certain way sound a certain way be a certain way um so i think and social media perpetuate that image um but i think what i've also found really helpful about social media is that there are some really um amazing like channels and where people are spreading awareness about mental health issues yeah yeah so it can be both exactly it depends which yeah. way that you, you yeah. actually look at it yeah, yeah that's really interesting guys have any other things you wanted to delve into I'm I'm really happy with like having at least a connection with Shoot to Shoot and you guys mm. because I feel like there's a whole untapped community of uh kids who come from intergenerational trauma uh, intergenerational mm. like intergenerational traumatically mm. affected communities yeah. that have been neglected. Yeah. And I feel like the best thing for us to do is at least shine a light on what they're going through. Exactly. And um the best way to kind of like understand the problem is to understand that the problem is there to begin with and to Mm. have that awareness so we actually thank you for coming on because honestly like that you shed light on some stuff that i didn't even know had existed even though i went into my own kind of like um mental health um (laughs) rabbit hole maybe a year or two ago during the the lockdown so thank you very much for coming on honestly thanks for having me appreciate it and can i just say one last thing i think like um most of us are here for are from either from a migrant background ourselves or our parents are and i think we really need to recognize the history of the land that we live on mm-hmm. you know and aboriginal people's intergenerational trauma mm-hmm. like sure, you know yeah. the history of colonization and dispossession and massacres and genocide that they've been through so much and they continue to like you know aboriginal youth are incarcerated mm-hmm. at much higher rates and i think so as you know people of col- color i think it's really important to be allies um to aboriginal people and stand in solidarity with them because you know we live on their land mm, yeah, yeah. Sure. and we might have not seen like the trauma that our like previous generations like our parents and grandparents mm. have felt but i guess they're exposed to the gen- uh, the trauma on a daily basis and stuff. exactly yeah well this conversation's opened honestly mm. a, a whole into a new galaxy for me <laughs> that. that's, that's, that's for sure mm-hmm. but yeah like i said thank you for coming on and thank, thank you for you. having shoot a shoot Guys, make sure to like, share and subscribe. Is there some resources that if people do have questions, they can reach out to you on this topic? Um, What I might do is I'll put something together and I'll send that to you. Yeah, send it to us. Yeah, exactly. Well, shoot us a DM, guys. Make sure like, share, subscribe. You know the drill. Um, And yeah, get us to 10 likes.
Happy birthday. <laughs> <Ten more. laughs>